This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of the strategy inside everything. This is going to be a fun one. I can already tell because I got to have a uh, test chat with today's guest on her podcast, Making the Brand. I have today the host of the Making the Brand podcast and instructor at the University of Florida, Brianne Fleming. Brianne, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be in the hot seat this time after I did it to you <laughs> on, on my podcast. This will be fun. It was very much not a hot seat. And uh, <laughs> I, the, the one thing, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a great time, but we did have uh, another great partner with us on that one. And we got yeah. to talk about Peloton. That was fantastic. Yes. Yes. So, big fan. Still yeah. don't have one, but it's, it's on my <laughs> on my list. I haven't sold this couch yet, but thinking about it. As I as I said on your show, I'm, I'm too cheap. It is well documented. Uh, <laughs> I will not buy one. Um, but w- before we dive into our conversation, would you give people a sense of kind of your career and what you're doing? And then that'll help, I think, frame today's uh, conversation for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. As you mentioned, I uh, am an instructor at the University of Florida. I teach courses in advertising, branding, and social media. Uh, And that really stemmed from being a student in the program myself. I started and went back and got my master's in web design. So that has kind of dovetailed into me starting my own consultancy and working with clients doing web design and, and brand development. So I have an LLC where I do that. Um, But I also really my passion is talking about pop culture and its impact on marketing, but also lessons that we can learn from pop culture as far as marketing goes. So that really started happening in my lectures. I noticed that to illustrate some of the points I was making, I realized that I didn't have to always use textbook examples with my students. You know, it's not just Nike and Starbucks and, you know, Airbnb who have great marketing. It's also our favorite musicians and movies and sports. I realized that nothing is void of promotion. So that's what I do with the podcast and also with my weekly Twitter chat called Pop Chat. We go over pop culture trends for the week and try to really delve into the marketing lessons behind them. So it's a lot of fun and it feels really true to my personality. Uh, as I'm sure we'll we'll get into because I just love it so much. <laughs> so far, so far, my experience talking to you has been consistent with that. Uh, it is it is definitely consistent. I met you through your pop chat, and that's how I first found you on Twitter. I was exposed. I'm a longtime lurker. I don't usually contribute much because I'm like, oh, what can I what can I learn from this? I don't need to have a voice because none of these things really apply to me. But so it's fun for me to see Aww, what rises to the top. Definitely chime in. I mean, I also, I always try to make, I, I do try to make the questions general. So even if you hadn't heard of the mus- the musician or you haven't seen the show or the movie, I kind of use, I do like a two-part question where I'll first tell you what the headline is, but then I'll generalize the takeaway. So definitely feel free to jump in. I'd love to have you there. No, I, I learn more from, it's, I use it as a focus group where I'm, I'm learning and saying, oh, okay, I, this is something, I didn't think about this this way. And I just, it's, you can scroll, you get such good participation that there's so much to draw from. So I can yeah. sometimes make mental notes of things I need to want. Like I have to go Google or watch later on or listen to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you right on blast right now. So we're going to talk about pop culture. Okay. You, you, your pop culture, I know that you love boy bands and pop music of a certain, like the, the, what I call the Disney graduating class of <laughs> Britney and Justin and that 
class. Yes. And it definitely applies to a lot. Like you're able to draw so many uh, examples and so many stories and so many threads that really are applicable. What I wanted to ask you is, is it because those artists are intuitive, great marketers, or is it because the, the art that they create, art is in quotes, I guess, but is it because what they create reaches so many people and is an attention creator that keeps people engaged for now almost 20 years? You know, I never really thought of it through that lens. I mean, for me, I look at it as more of a personal uh, approach to where those albums are what resonated with me and they're just how they're kind of part of how I see the world. So I don't really look at them as if, oh, you know, this is this is going to be more meaningful to a larger audience because of their impact on pop culture. I just usually tweet what what I observe and what I've always loved. So, you know, for instance, I tweeted uh, a thread the other day about uh, what the Spice Girls can teach us about brand purpose. You know, I, it's just little observations that I personally have made just through my own up, upbringing and consuming the music and, and their work. But I don't know. I, I don't think they really set out to have that type of impact. I think it's like you have to kind of put them under a micros microscope and look for those lessons. But they're there, whether it's from that era of music or any time period. I mean, we can go into Michael Jackson and, you know, lessons behind the the white the the white sparkly glove that he always wore. And, yeah. um, you know, Aerosmith and his, uh, you know, uh, or Steven Tyler and like some of the ties and, and um, the scarves. Scarves. Yeah. Thank you. The scarves that he wears. Like it's it's from every era. But for me, it's just my time, I guess, that I uh, am able to put it out there because it's what I've observed. Yeah. In in specific, I I talk about how I think I use Radiohead as the example that I use. I've recently switched it to Jay Z, but um, I'm always trying to draw from if brands could figure out how to be more like musicians, where the product itself is designed for a particular person to be bopping their head. But yeah. Tide doesn't think that way. Tide is just like, well, we created this thing. Now we have to create an ad to sell the thing. But the thing itself right. can be an ad if, if you're creating it correctly. It's always bridging you to the next piece. Right. And I think it's so interesting. I was reading this book. Maybe you've heard of it called The Creative Curve by Alan Gannett. And he talks about how pop culture helps brands because it, it helps bridge that gap between introducing something unfamiliar by attaching it to something that is familiar and using pop culture as the vehicle to talk about a product or to make an ad, but to, to give it a, a level of comfort because you're introduced to it through a pop culture phenomenon that you are already familiar with. So it's, it's kind of a device that helps brands as well. Yeah, and that's always been a fine line of jacking, connecting your brand to that trend, but not borrowing interest and making the ad or making the brand about that trend so much that you're not relevant to the story. It's like, here's the Spice Girls and then here's our logo. You know, right. like, I don't know how, why I would drink a Pepsi based on that. It's not clear to me. Right. Yeah, exactly. You have to, you can't force it. Um, we see it with memes and things all, all the time where sometimes brands, you know, might try a little too hard. It just has to feel organic and right. You don't definitely don't want to force it just to try to get something out there. 
do they, when you're when you're teaching are you are these things that just come to your mind from your own experience as you're teaching as you're talking to your class or are you i'm sure you're you know thinking before you teach but are you using the most accessible things or like a marketer are you trying to pull examples that your class will more readily understand so looking for analogs from you where you say oh this something i've experienced is like that but let me see if there's something newer that's like that i definitely try to try to consider some of the generational differences um i i teach in a master's program so i have students some who go straight from undergrad right into the master's program to other students who are um you know maybe in their 40s or 50s and are super experienced so i do try to diversify and and include references that can apply to everyone. Um, like I said, I mean, there are really lessons from every era of music. I'm sure we can go and really look at any album from any year and, and draw some of those conclusions. But one of my favorites, I love to teach about imposter syndrome using a, a Shawn Mendes reference. He, uh, he won an award a few years ago. I don't remember if it was a Grammy or an American Music Award. Exactly. Something really prestigious. Exactly. Uh, right. the, the, yeah. I remember the award, but, but he won the award. I got it. Something, yeah, super prestigious. And immediately after he won, he went on his Instagram and shared this story about how he used to be this 15-year-old kid putting covers on Vine and YouTube and how all of the all of his classmates and people in the senior class used to make fun of him and he would be like walking down the hallway and they would mock him and yell sing for me sean sing or where's your guitar little things like that and and he just shares his story about how he kind of pushed through their their criticism and decided to keep putting himself out there and, and look at him coming full circle being this massively successful artist and I think it's, it just goes to show that you're going to have people who doubt you. It's going to feel a little uneasy and uncomfortable at first to put yourself out there in that way, but it can really make your dreams come true. Not to yeah. sound cheesy, but it did for him. And it, it couldn't if he didn't. So right. that's a great example of if a, if a brand created some piece of content that depicted that kind of story. Mm -hmm everybody would roll their eyes and be like, if it wasn't about him specifically, but if they wrote a script that was like, oh, let's tell the story of a young woman making it in the big city and she doesn't think she can do it, but this deodorant gives her the, we're all like, oh God, what a cliche. But when it's specific to someone that we know, you know, Shawn Mendes, okay, that's a, that's a true story. And all of a sudden it has more meaning. So I, part of what I wonder is how do you see brands leveraging what you see in pop culture like what makes it successful and what makes it bomb if you just license the music that's not enough if you mm -hmm. use a video technique is that enough where's the where do you see things that are more successful and clear things that are going to make it break well even before i address that part i mean one thing i was thinking as you mentioned that example is that even shows just why testimonials are so much more powerful than, uh, than like you said, writing a script and crafting that story. Cause you, as a brand, you probably already have stories like that, that are real from your actual customers. So you don't have to script this, this narrative. It will hit so much better if you can go out there and find a real story. Maybe it doesn't line up perfectly with what you envision, but 
more often than not, it actually turns out being even better <laughs> to have that authentic story and to humanize your audience and to build that social proof. So you can even sort of follow the Sean Mendez example without a superstar um, or without a, a famous person and, and uh, you know, truly connecting it to pop culture and just instead using your own brand culture and your, your audience there. Um, but as far as what makes it bomb and what makes it work well, I think timing is really important. <laughs> yeah, yes. We see that a lot where, you know, and, and timing is so hit or miss. It either has to be like, you have to jump on the trend immediately or enough time has to have passed that it now hits that nostalgia angle. So I think that is a big differentiator there. And the, the biggest opportunity is to just get the timing right. And that's easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, you have to look like you're not. You, there's also a weird thing where you have to not just look like you are saying, yes, we like that trend. And so we're going to put it in our, it's going to all of a sudden be in our Instagram feed 20 times. You have right. to look like it makes sense. You have to convince people or they have to already believe that that trend applies to your brand or, the, or to their lives and their connection with you. Yeah, they can see right through it. I mean, if you're a pharmaceuticals brand and you're just trying to tweet about the bachelor <laughs> with no clear connection just to kind of get it on the hashtag it's not going to work like you said you have to build that trust and make that connection clear what are some other trends that show up a lot you know current pop culture trends that you see having a big influence you mentioned the bachelor which is for a certain audience is i mean that show is older than a lot of people that i'm connected to on twitter and they still love it and every season they have a way of making it feel like it is just for that person watching it, which is incredible. Yeah. I think the big thing we're seeing now, I mean, there's always going to be memes, of course, but yeah. I think what I love to watch is how TikTok has changed things. Yeah. Dramatic. Yeah. There are just so many TikTok challenges and, you know, dance challenges and fun things that not only people can jump on, but brands can get in on, on some of these trends too. I love when uh, you see sports where they'll have like your your team's mascot jumping in on a dance trend uh that's that's all over tiktok so. give me anything with gritty and i'm in whatever gritty does i, I want that <laughs> wait is that is that the asu mascot no no or? gritty is gritty is the uh philadelphia flyers mascot he's the crazy oh. orange he's the crazy orange yes, thing. yes. does he have a tiktok we'll probably but what i i only i am only a twitter user as you know and uh <laughs> So if it makes its way from TikTok to Twitter, it's, it's a winner in my book. I saw someone tweeted, I want to say it was my friend Dakota, I think, um, Dakota Snow. And he was saying TikTok is, I mean, Twitter is the best social media platform because the best TikToks get posted here. <laughs> the best, and it was true for Vine even before Twitter bought it. It, it, it seems that the, the things that rise to the top make it to my feed. And so mm -hmm. between that and a one RSS, I'm able to pretty much know what's happening and be conversant. When my kids come home and they're singing a song, I can know what the hell they're talking about. Right. We, so. we cheated the system there. We found- <laughs> Shortcut. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. I'm not mad about it because it is exhausting keeping up with all these platforms. And if I even open TikTok, I need to know that I'm fully committing like three hours of just- it, It's a problem. Scroll. It's a problem. Yeah. Even since last time I talked to you, I didn't understand when you said that because I was pretty new to it. Um, mm -hmm. as, as people who know me know, I downloaded it because my daughter is now old enough to have a TikTok. So I, we have a shared account that I can keep track of. Um, 
And yes, now I open it and now my account is already customized to things I like. So it's all kinds of crazy. And yes, maybe not three hours, but a lot of swipes where I'm just like, oh God. I know. The worst is when you're trying to go to bed and you're like, why did I even open this? It's like one in the morning or maybe that's just me, but. (laughs) No, it happens. It definitely happens. I wish I could undo opening that more times than I'm glad I opened it. Absolutely. But they're definitely onto something. I mean, they've yeah. got the algorithm right. And really they 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 just add so much value with the way that they customize your feed and just it's it's pure entertainment. So talk yeah. you mentioned memes a couple of times. And I'm a I'm a nerd for memes in terms of understanding how they spread and understanding how they travel across the internet and how they connect people. I've written a few things about how brands could learn from memes, but I don't think I've cracked it. I don't, I don't really understand what is the best use and what is the worst use. I talk about the, um, I think it was Mountain Dew that did the campaign with Joel Embiid, who I'm not from Philadelphia. I don't know why all my examples are Philadelphia today, but um, Joel Embiid and they created this set of gifts that were like Joel worthy gifts and they were terrible because the brand created them for the purpose of looking like memes, but they don't have any, I'm assuming it's got something to do with context versus just showing up in a TV ad and trying to send me to a microsite to download them. Like nobody's doing that. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting question. Cause this week I was also asked, I mean, it, it's the Super Bowl week at the time that we're recording this. And someone asked me if I thought the labyrinth scene from, from the weekend's halftime show performance, someone asked me if I thought that he strategically put that in there, knowing it would become a meme. He did. And I thought, no, I mean, I, I oh, really, yeah. You think it was strategic? I thought for sure. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I feel like for the most part, it's hard to predict, predict that you're going to become a meme. That's a fact. You you're know? correct. We like, agree. It's, it's, it's in the power of the people. Like we're going to meme what we, what we think is a, a funny moment. And a, more often than not, they're, they're unplanned. Like the Bernie mittens. Like, I don't think <laughs> he wore those thinking I'm going to become a meme today. No, uh, I think it's just something it, that's, that's why they're so fascinating is because you, I feel like you can't see them coming and they can just completely take off. And the power is in our hands as the, <laughs> as the audience to determine what, what takes off. Why do you think that that labyrinth caught on? What, what about it made it work, in your opinion? Or made it shareable? Not work, but shareable. Or why did people? I think because of the expression on his face and just the, the nature of that, of that little moment where he looked completely confused. Yes. And I think maybe that is, I'm studying memes all the time. I don't think I've cracked them either. But maybe that is part of it is if you can first extract what that emotion is that that picture or that video or that gif is communicating and then apply it to your brand or apply it to yourself or things that other people can relate to that's that's how you bridge the gap and that's really where the magic happens so i think any meme that can communicate an emotion that can then translate like confusion for instance can then translate to other other things that makes it repeatable and shareable in multiple instances. Yeah, that's a great point. It has to work on those two levels. It has to, um, in that case of the labyrinth, the first thing I think I saw was somebody that had two shots of the camera turning past him. And it said, this is what pizza rolls see me, see when I'm looking in the microwave. At them. <laughs> I didn't and see the, that one. And then the next one was some other thing. 
And so in that case, it was the ability to communicate multiple and somebody else had to translate it. Multiple people had to translate it into ways that it could, what it was expressing for them. Mm-hmm. And that made me say, oh, okay, that is, that's worth remembering. And that's, I didn't share it, but that's potentially worth sharing or bookmarking for when I have a similar emotion that I want to communicate. Or right. the Bernie Mittens, which is just a one very specific thing that it's communicating consistently. And if I put it in, you know, I saw it in everything from UFC fights to sitting in, you know, in a chair next to David Letterman, they, they moved it everywhere, but it was such a consistent, like that's of a particular time and place and feeling mm-hmm. that it, it worked everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. That one, I love memes like that. Cause that one was, was different in the sense that you, everyone could put their own creative spin on it, not just from a caption perspective, but from the actual graphic, yes. you know, since they could put them in different settings. So I think that one was particularly interesting and fun, but glad it came and went. I think, <laughs> I think it had its moment. It, it, it lived longer than most. Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you see brands doing that? Right. I've mentioned the uh, Mountain Dew and it, I, they didn't leverage an existing meme, but they tried to create their own energy during the, during the NBA season last year. You, have you seen brands that have cracked the code or done it well with, with regard to meme? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Um, not that, I mean, I feel like it's harder if they try to create their own. Um, I think I'm a big believer in that they kind of have to have to happen organically where your audience leads the charge and tells you what that mean moment is, is going to be trying to think of, of some examples. I mean, the ocean spray thing, I mean, that wasn't really a meme, but that was just something that I don't know. I think it was also a happy accident that that went viral. I, I like to think of memes that way. I don't know. I think they have this magic that you can't always predict and force the same way those pop culture moments do. But yeah. I could be convinced otherwise. And Ocean Spray is a good example because they had nothing to do with it. Right. But they figured out, okay, how, what can we do to take advantage of this moment without looking like the dorky consumer packaged goods brand that is, so they had their CEO do an imitation of it right? All right. That's yeah. not offensively dumb. Right. But then I, what I think they got smart about was let's go to that person, that creator, and let's figure out how to partner with them and milk every pixel of attention that we can get for this. <laughs> and they gave them a life-size supply of, of their beverage and whatever else. I was, at least as a consumer and a critic of, of brands, I could say, all right, they rewarded somebody for doing that. Now, potentially that will it doesn't seem like the brand is doing something out of character. Right. So worth it. And then that generated a whole new wave of press. And I think what's funny about that is everyone on Twitter was kind of like, where the hell is ocean spray? Why haven't they retweeted this? Like what's taking them so long? And then they're like, Hmm, we have something better up our sleeves. And I think that's also a huge opportunity for brands is ask yourself where you can take things offline and take this a step further. We don't have to only build relationships within these digital spheres. So I think that was really smart of them to go beyond, I think what even us marketers expected them to do was yeah. just give it a retweet and call it a day. Right. But they did way beyond that. Yeah, and to your point about timing, there's the pressure on whoever is running the social for that brand 
the pressure that they were probably getting to have a, you know, some witty dunk in the dark response that immediately captured everybody's feeling about that, it would have ruined it. It would have toppled the entire thing. So, so true. they deserve some high fives just for chilling out and not, not pushing send on anything. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way because yeah, it had a bigger impact. The, the truck and the lifestyle, the lifetime supply just because of their silence. And I'm wondering if they could have done both did, did a retweet or, or responded on Twitter first and then done the, uh, the surprise. But I think, I think that silence created that tension that just made it that much sweeter. Yeah. And a little tart. Um, yeah. <laughs> your point earlier about timing now is also making me think about brand voice and brand tone. So if that was Wendy's, obviously he's not drinking, maybe he's drinking a Wendy's, you know, a soda in a Wendy's cup or something, but like, <laughs> Wendy, yeah, Wendy's, we would expect to respond right away with something because that's who they, that's the speed that they've taught us to expect. If it's today's Thursday, I think they're doing a roast me Wendy's Thursday um, yeah. today, which I don't love, but they've, they've trained us to expect this fast back and forth. If they didn't react, it would be a bust. Right. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about that consistency. I don't really know how frequently ocean spray was, was, or how active they were on social before, but I want to say that, yeah, they weren't that active. So it didn't seem out of character. It, it kind of created this suspense waiting to see what they would do. So it, it gave us a reason to pay even more attention. I, I was thinking about that this morning, but as far as that conditioning and, um, you know, training your audience on what to expect, because this morning, Taylor Swift announced that she's releasing, I don't know if you saw, she's doing like her re-records of all her, her whole discography. Yep. And tonight she's releasing one single and the album isn't coming out till later. And I said to my friends, I was like, what do you mean this one single? Like she's, she's dropped two albums in the past like six months. <laughs> I need the full album now. This is not what she's conditioned me to expect. I am not good with just one song. Where is the full album? So I don't know. Maybe it's a blessing and you're and a curse to always, you know, condition your audience to expect so much from you. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we should pull things back more often than we do. Well, she'll get, not like she's look, she needs attention. She Taylor Swift <laughs> right. has no problem getting attention, but she will, if she releases them one at a time, she will get 10 million listens to each song independently as they drop versus somebody going to Spotify, playing the first song and going like, oh, it just sounds just like the other version. And then maybe not listening to the rest of the record three or four times. So I think it's a thing. I understood it at that way. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm correct about what Taylor Swift is thinking. She's smarter than me about how she markets herself for sure. <laughs> I mean, she definitely has a lot of research just from releasing two albums back to back like that. So I'm sure she's learned something from those two before uh, embarking on this new release. So, but I'm being selfish and I want all of it now. <laughs> that, but her, that cadence and the cadence of TikTok creators and YouTube creators uh, has become something that pop culture is driving. And for brands, that's a real challenge because it's not like the top YouTube creators are doing it for no cost. It's very expensive business to get in at, the, at that million follower level. People, right. I think, think you just knock out TikToks and YouTube. I wish it was that easy. Um, as we've discussed before, it's a pain in the ass. Um, but brands now have to, if they want to be visible, have to decide, are we going to try to keep pace 
with these creators who are not just dumping uh, videos, but really great, smart things and that are fun? Or do we wait it out and go even slow down so that we can inject in at the key moments in YouTube as a paid opportunity? What are your, what are your thoughts on Cadence? I think it, call, it calls for brands to be really nimble and you know, I feel like these moments, these pop culture trends, these memes, these things that you don't see coming, they can really derail your brand a little bit, or at least your internal team. You could be focused on something and then feel all of this pressure to jump on a certain trend. But I think since timing is so important, you do just have to either prepare for those moments as best you can, or just know when it's okay to sit out. You don't have to jump in on everything. So cadence and consistency is is very important. If it's if these pop culture moments come in and they interrupt that cadence and it's gonna it's not gonna be worth it. You really have to judge uh, the outcome and and if it's worth it and if you have the resources and the just the bandwidth to make these things happen. Yeah. Also. Looking like a wannabe is way worse than missing the moment. Right. If you miss the moment, consumers don't miss you. I mean, marketers right. do. On, in your pop chat, people would say, oh, that this brand should have been there. But nobody else is digging the brand for not being there. But if they create some crappy thing that tries to plug into what Taylor Swift is doing, it, it, it's more harmful than good in most cases, unless you really nail it. Right. And that applies, I think, to being late also late to the game late to the trend so it's it, like you said it's better to just sit it out if it's if it's not worth it it's no one misses you like you said it's no one's dinging you or docking points for your brand or never going to buy from you again because you didn't jump on a trend unless it's super relevant to you like maybe ocean spray unless you're called out <laughs> in some way to respond that's the only moment where we're waiting for that response yeah i don't need doritos to weigh in on it on any <laughs> <laughs> Anything that's happening in pop culture necessarily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there are some brands that have transcended. I want to get your opinion on this. There are some brands that are part of the culture, that are driving culture. Um, what are those brands, of the brands that come to mind, I don't want to put any in your mind. What do they do differently that allows them to maintain that position? Well, first of all, what brands do you think of as those, those culture-influencing brands? Um. Just the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if I love their approach, but do you follow Velveeta? I'd see enough of it again. Like when, yeah. it, when it works, <laughs> it makes it into my feed. So I don't need yeah. to follow it. They will like jump in on moments and say things like shell. Yeah. Or like just fun little things. Yeah. And, you know, they always tweet in all caps. They're just, they're very present. And I think that is really the first step for every brand is just, awareness, being aware of what your audience is talking about and just doing more listening than mm -hmm. publishing, perhaps, dare I say, you know, the listening is, is more important. I think those are the brands that get ahead and win is that they're the ones who just kind of have their eyes open and have a pulse and are just always observing and listening. And then that empowers them and equips them to know when is the right time to insert themselves into the conversation. Yeah, it's just more about having a cultural presence so that you know when it's when it makes sense for you to shut up. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have your 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 uh, you have to have a pulse on what's going on and what is going on in culture, and that also 
that addresses, you know, when it, when you would potentially be tone deaf, when to stay silent, when, you know, it feels like you're capitalizing on something that's inappropriate. You have to really use your judgment and have good sense about things before you publish. To you, what makes it more, which, which is more useful? And it's probably the answer is it depends, but is it having your own tone or your own filter as a brand to respond, react, or contribute to a trend? Uh, or is it to be the ability to create things that become more plugged into a trend or part of a trend? Ooh, that's hard. I think the the tone and the voice thing keeps you top of mind for a while and it helps with your brand recognition and really cements who you are uh, for your audience. But I think something is also to be said of just kind of coming in hot and, and being there for that right moment and and just having the perfect crafted tweet or, or content in that moment, even if your brand voice isn't particularly flashy or um, recognizable or unique, um, I think that may be more, if I had to choose, may even be more special because you're not leaning on, you know, a, a quippy voice or a snarky voice to kind of carry you into that trend. You're finding a way to be relevant just from whatever it is that you created. But I want to preface that by saying, I know we, we talk about Wendy's and some of these snarky brands, but I feel like there is a, a misconception that to have a personality, your brand has to be snarky. Like right. Every brand has a personality, whether you're serious or funny or kind of bullying like Wendy's can be sometimes. Every brand still has a, a personality and a voice. It just, it sounds different, but it's like people. We all have personalities, no matter if we're introverts, extroverts or whatnot. So it really just depends. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, I was just thinking of Steakum while you were giving that example. And it's such a weird, that whole, the, their Twitter account where there's a the clearly identified person who is at the, at the keyboard. Right. It's just like, these are my political beliefs on behalf of this brand. And I'm like, this does not make me want to eat these sheets of freeze-dried meat. This does not make me want to engage. I don't understand this at all, but it is constantly retweeted and shared in my feed. So it's driving awareness. I don't know how it's participating in culture in a positive to the, to the business, but I guess maybe it is. They haven't stopped doing it. Did it inspire you to follow them at least? It didn't, but I but it made me more aware of them. They're, they have a relevance that they didn't have before because I right. could just explain to you what was happening with Stakeham. And I sure 12 months ago, I would have no idea if they were even still in business. <laughs> same here, same here. I think I, I was reading something recently and it was asking, you know, do we need to have a relationship with every brand? And Stakeham, I'm not a customer either, but for some reason, I want to have a relationship and follow this frozen meat brand. And I, I think, <laughs> you know, even if I never buy, I don't know, I, there's still value in that to me. I mean, we're talking about it now. Maybe we have some frozen meat fans listening that are going to go out and buy some right now. But I think they cracked the code and found a way to make me and a lot of other people want a relationship with frozen meat. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they created an avenue for attention that is different than uh, Moon Pies or Wendy's 
kind of, like you said, snarky tone that really doesn't apply to everybody. I wouldn't have applied that to Stakeham. I don't know what I, what I would have uh, said their voice should be, but this is definitely different than what I would expect. Yeah. I mean, what, do you think that there are some brands and products and things that we don't need to have a relationship with? Cause I feel like that just makes it harder for them to figure out like, okay, then who are we on social media? What is the point? Like does yeah. the manufacturer of the gutters on your house need a Twitter account? <laughs> you know, do yeah, I want to follow that? Like, no, yeah, I agree. There's you know? a lot of things. I don't need to have a relationship with Alcoa um, to your point, but there's also, I've worked on brands with teams of community managers and content creators where changing the role of having the community manager move off the account, change the brand, you know, unintentionally. Someone quits, gets a new job, and all of a sudden Pocky has a different tone. And people notice, people are asking like, what the hell's going on over there? Because this isn't the same response I would have gotten six months ago. And they're like, well, this person left. So (laughs) you can't can't say that. You can't answer that. Right, right. But That's such a good point. Yeah, it did fill a place in those people's understanding of the brand. Yeah, I feel like we don't talk about that enough. Like just how much the the person who's managing the brand is the actual voice. And it doesn't have to be like who you are as an actual person, but it's a lot like like acting. You know, you you're you're creating this persona and some people are better actors than others and if you replace the actor your audience can tell. So I think there's something to be said for that. And just how much of your brand's personality is actually, you know, the person who has the right judgment and the right, the right timing again, the right, I find that they just have to get it. Sometimes you get people in that role to take over that account and they don't get it the way that other person did. And it's really hard to teach. Yeah. Some of it, it's the same thing with um, talk shows or, or, seasons of, of TV shows where the writing staff, the writing room changes and then mm-hmm. people have a different take on where that show should go, or they don't really, they have a different sense of how that host would do a monologue. And all of a sudden you're like, that's why some seasons of Saturday night live are just garbage. And some are incredible because it's a different collection of people at a different time that are able to tap into pop culture and connect it to the audience. And some years it's like, well, this is all people that love the news and they don't know how to connect and they connect in a different way that the audience didn't want that year. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting to see, you know, from cast to cast, it's kind of the same thing. It's the same as, as like that turnover that you get. And it's a big dilemma for brands. I mean, people will come and go. So I think the more, maybe it's the answer is involving other people into that process, having two community managers and having them coach each other and, and really refine that brand voice together. So it's not, just that one person. And I don't think it ever really is one person, but I feel like you always need someone that, that gets it, that can kind of lead the charge. And, you know, if there is another person that steps in, they've shadowed and seen enough where they can understand what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they, hopefully some of it seeps in. So they understand yeah. why they're doing what they're doing and not just doing it. Right. Well, Brian, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we got another chance to talk. Yes, this was so fun talking about all my favorite things. This was really interesting. <laughs> so, where can um where can people find you online? Tell them more about Pop Chat. Yeah, so Pop Chat is my weekly Twitter chat where we pretty much continue the conversation we've just had here. So if you like this conversation, um, Pop Chat, we go over weekly mar- uh, weekly pop culture trends for the week and. 
try to draw marketing takeaways from them. So this week we're doing a whole Super Bowl recap. We're going to talk about the weekend memes, uh, things like that. But it's a, a great community of people with a ton of different perspectives. I've got people who are interns and entry level all the way to, you know, seasoned executives sometimes pop in. So there's just so many different people that we can learn from and everyone's perspectives are welcome in pop chat. So it's Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can just follow the hashtag pop chat. But my Twitter handle is at Brienne2K, like Y2K. I, I will. That. Yeah, I will definitely <laughs> link to that uh, in the notes here. And also uh, the Making the Brand podcast, the, the best episode of that, obviously, is the Peloton episode with Christina and I. But um, of course, who <laughs> um, was also been a guest on this show. And uh, yeah. we had a great conversation about Peloton. But you've got when does that how often does that come out? Um, gosh, I wish I could tell you I was more consistent than I am, but it's, it's about <laughs> every two weeks at this point. <laughs> That's what I, I shoot for every two, but sometimes there'll be a small gap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the semester of teaching, I have more students than I've ever had. And I'm like, okay, maybe I have some free time to record an episode. I'm like, no, I don't. I have 75 projects to grade that are just sitting there waiting for me. <laughs> so ah, it's, it's tough, but I feel there are a lot of to backtrack until I get my act together. Awesome. Well, again, this has been great. Thank you so much for making time. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's a blast. Perfect. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Kierno. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. If someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it, you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there and get episodes before everybody else. For more information about me, Adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. There's information about my books, my speaking, and my strategy work. Have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to adampierno.com and you'll find a form there that'll help you connect. Thanks for listening. 